What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another podcast here at City of Hope Church. This is our small group series, and we're currently on Chapter 2, The Way of Formation. We're going to be discussing pages 47 through 49, or sorry, 47 through 59, roughly, uh, in this episode, and then we'll get to Part 2 of this chapter on the next episode. So this one's titled The Way of Formation Clay, and he opens up, you know, similarly to the last chapter, you know, there was this talk about the, the gap theory, or not the gap theory, but the this this uh, um, this gap that is in us when we essentially have certain convictions, uh, but our actions aren't lining up with them. And he kind of mentions that here at the beginning, beginning of this, and he, he talks about how our heart has disoriented desires and there's tension between uh, conflicting desires when we're trying to uh, lead a life following Jesus versus, you know, a, a, a life before Jesus and when we come to him. And so there's all this tension in our life yet again here at the beginning of this chapter between, you know, desiring the Lord and what he would have for us and then also our fleshly desires. Yeah. I told you this earlier, but I think I think more and more. Uh, I think the thing with me is that I, I look at salvation as, and I probably always have, but more and more as I'm pastoring people, I look at salvation not so much as a line you cross, but a direction that you're headed. Mm. And I think so many people look at salvation as a line you cross. So you say this prayer, boom, you're a Christian, and and. But there is a way of life. Jesus is the way. And salvation, even though we are initially saved from the penalty of sin in our justification with Christ, and we can say in one sense we are saved, salvation is a is a longer, broader process. And so one of the things that he opens the book with is like how he was he was a hedonist, man, just chasing pleasure and didn't care anything about God, didn't think anything about God. And then he became a Christian, and he was in a Pentecostal church uh, in a, just a moment that marked his life completely. And um, and he thought, you know, I like what he says because he said I, he thought because it was in a Pentecostal church that if I just got power, bam, everything in my life would change. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's funny too because you know depending on the background that you come from, a lot of times if you're going through certain things, I'll have people that are of more of a Pentecostal background. They just expect, you know, that we go to the altar and pray a prayer and bam, something's going to happen. Yeah. And I will say this in my own life, I have had seasons of deep formation deep seeking the lord for extended periods of time reading scripture praying worshiping pouring out my soul to god which leads to a moment of bam the power of god changing something in my life Mm -hmm. but what he's getting at here is that in order for we can be saved we can we can say a prayer and, and we can come to jesus but what we find is that there's a deep internal struggle between what we want, like our hearts are divided. We want Jesus, we want to serve him, but we also have these internal desires uh, that reveal that uh, that our hearts are divided. And he says, you know, there's the tension between two conflicting desires, which are both trying to form and lead you in opposite directions. Have you experienced that? Well, yeah. yeah. If you're listening to this, you have experienced that. You've got the spirit and the flesh at war within you. And so that's that's what he's trying to talk about. He's talking about 
formation in the Christian life? How do we become like Jesus? What yeah. does that process look like? How is our, are our hearts changed over a period of time? And how do we experience these this transformation? Yeah, like you said, and to, to kind of go on that, there's this assumption that, uh, and he says this on page 49, there exists a false assumption that the point of Christianity is to make bad people good or mean people nice. I think people have this assumption that it's like I, I go to church, and we've said this all the time, but you go to church, you pray a prayer or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're just changed, you're just different. Um and a matter of fact, we had a friend in here just a little bit ago, and he was talking about, you know, after he became a Christian, um, he, he, he was in this season, the Lord was doing things in his life, and he just felt like he wasn't making any ground or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he, he made the statement that, you know, when you live 25 years worth of, of sin and you have all these scars and there's all this damage and everything else, we want it to just be up and fixed in a moment. Yeah. When in and in, in, Yes, the the power of God can show up in a moment for sure, but a lot of times it comes, like you said, Clay, after uh, you're you're seeking Him deeply. Yeah. Um. And and there, so it and, it's and a process. Even, and even when those moments of intense power of God is released and freedom come, freedom comes or or deliverance comes or healing comes, I've seen people go through dramatic things within deliverance and addictions breaking and demons leaving and all this stuff mm-hmm. but it still does not it, it doesn't negate the responsibility to enter into the way of Jesus to form your heart and your desires yeah you can't just say well we want the power of God to hit us and we want to be delivered and we want the demons to flee or, or whatever and then you just say oh well that's over thank God no this is a daily formation process yeah and i think that's the thing that he's getting at but one of the things that he'll say here and this is so true but but we we sense that division we want to live for god we want to do better and so we 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 try so hard and he he basically says there's two two failed attempts at formation one is legalism the other hedonism i I actually said earlier legalism and libertarianism is usually what people are going to find in the church like you're going to go to church and probably you know hope you hope this isn't the the case but usually you'll go to a church and people have been to a church where the the preacher is just going off on people beating the sheep preaching hellfire as hard as it'll go mm-hmm. and just wide open on on sin in a way that it, you got to live this way you got to live this way and it doesn't really teach you how to how to have a relationship with Jesus or rely on him or trust in him and yeah. develop and cultivate spiritual practices that'll change you it's just like this pressure for you, your external obedience yeah. to do this and live this way and it's legalism and then uh, and then that doesn't produce any any lasting transformation um, and and then on the other side, it's like, well, we can't do this. We've tried and it doesn't work. So we just need to sort of do what we what we feel like is good for us, and not deal, not talk about sin because that hurts people's feelings because they can't get better anyway, and they can't change anyway. Mm-hmm. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you, but Jesus doesn't change you. And and mm-hmm. so we just yeah. move into libertarianism where we where we say Jesus loves you and and we go on and let people live however they want. But he's trying to come for from a from a direction of no no that's that's not the gospel either. So we don't move into legalism because if we just suppress our desires mm-hmm. without having transformed hearts, 
it's going to inevitably leak out. And some of the most miserable people in the world mm-hmm. are people who are trying to make external holiness happen, but they don't have a living relationship with a God who's transforming them from the inside out. Yeah, it's impossible. You can try so hard to quit doing this, quit doing that, behave like this, wear that. And, and, and externally, if you don't, if it's not being birthed out of the spirit in a deep relationship with Jesus, man, you just become the most miserable person in the world and all kinds of self-righteousness and other things happen. And he, he quotes Colossians two twenty three, and he says that a lot of rules, they seem wise, but they don't successfully change us into different people. Legalism fails to live up to its promise. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, that's one of the struggles that we have, uh, and like we said, the other part is just to say, well, this doesn't work. I tried being a Christian. I'm no good at it. I keep sinning. So you just go back to doing whatever you want and feel like a failure. Yeah, and what Jesus is inviting us into is like a, a complete transformation. It's a it's a restructuring uh, of our desires altogether. It's like a it's an it's an inside out type of transformation. You know, I, I've shared yeah. this before, but my old pastor, he. Um, he said, you know, as a Christian, I can do anything I want to do. The only thing is, Jesus changed my want-tos. Yeah. And so that's, uh, you know, it, it's funny and simple, but at the same time, it's pr- it's profound because I, I think that, yeah, you can try externally as much as you want, but until you experience, you know, genuine transformation from the inside out and you restructure your, your desires and your heart, that's how, how true transformation takes place. Um, yeah. I've, I've told people a million times, I mean, until, and, and, and we say this over and over, but pastorally, you know, you're teaching the Bible, you're confronting people with the truth, you're confronting sin with the truth, you're, 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 you want to deliver the gospel message in such a way where people have an awareness of their condition that they can repent and come to Jesus and then receive that grace and that love that transforms their lives and their hearts. But the fact of the matter is, is human beings are not changed apart from a relationship with God that takes place in spiritual practices Mm -hmm. that opens their lives up to the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where the way of formation comes in. I, I have to develop a life of prayer a life of worship, a life of, of, of reading and studying Scripture and letting it get into my heart, and, and all these other spiritual practices that actually create a framework for me to actually have a relationship with God. Yeah. And I think most people, their framework is, is, is sort of broken down to the point where they, they don't have a way of formation. They don't have a set of practices where their relationship with Jesus can be real and strong and he can pour that grace in to bring inter- internal transformation. Yeah. If all you've got on your on your structural uh, framework for, for a relationship with God is coming to church on Sundays, you're not going to experience transformation. You're just yeah. not. Uh, th- so there, ha- there has to be something that starts to take place within our own hearts or otherwise we simply will be conformed by the world and yeah. cultural pressure. We just will. Yeah, and a lot of folks don't even, you know, come to church because of that reason. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that's like, you know, I'd love to come to church, you know, but there's some things I need to clean up first. There's some there's some external things I need to fix. So they have it in their yeah. mind that they they have to, to do these things and, and, and kind of fix themselves first before they're able to even approach Jesus and that's that's not the case. It no. it is it is it's through the power and like you said, it's his way 
alone that can bring about genuine transformation. We can't do it on our own. And it, it, it is about those. And I love what you said there. You know, there's there's practices and there's a way that he offers that gives us the framework and the yeah. structure to be able to, to dive into that. And as we go deeper into this study, when we move into the way of practice, they'll, that, that, you know, that'll become more clear. But yeah. at this particular time, he's just trying to make us aware of, of our own personal condition and our need for formation. Um, one of the things he says at the bottom of page 51, he, he quotes um, Ronald Rollheiser, who's a great author, but... Uh, he says we're incredibly shaped by the culture around us, and here's what he says. He says Western culture today is so powerful and alluring that it often just swallows us whole. Mm. Its beauty, power, and promise generally take away our breath and our perspective. The lure of present salvation, money, sex, creativity, the good life, has for the most part entertained, amused, distracted, and numbed us into a state where we no longer have a perspective beyond that of our culture and its short-range soteriology. And soteriology is um, a, a Greek theological word. It, just, it's, it means the study of salvation. Mm. How, how does God save us? Yeah. But what he's saying is in our culture, what we think the things are that are going to save us are money, sex, creativity, the good life, entertainment, amusement, yeah. pleasure, uh, we, we think those things are our salvation. That's a culture's soteriology. Yeah. But but we recognize that, no, we, we're not to be swallowed whole by this world, but we're to see what what Jesus is offering us. And um, and he has a Jesus gives us a vision and and he calls us to adopt his practices and his way of life so that we can go through a literal spiritual reformation process mm. and we can be transformed so we, we we have to put some old things off we have to recognize what the world's offered us and say no i'm not going to be conformed by that anymore i'm going to be transformed by this new way that christ is offering me yeah so there's this there's this uh, problem of our hearts getting in the way uh, scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure um, who can understand it I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Uh, Matthew 15, uh, 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimony, slander. And then we have the culture, like you were just saying, Clay. And so there's all these different um, things pulling at us, these different desires. And on page 52, we get into uh, this section on the greatest commandment and really uh, this idea of there's, there's, there's one thing that should be, we should be focused on, mm-hmm. um, rather than being pulled in, in many different directions and divided into d- different directions. And that's the greatest commandment. I'll just read there from Mark 12, um, 29 through 31. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Yes. And Jesus, you know, he he he, used, he says that in response to people asking him, "What is the greatest commandment?" And it goes into detail about how he answers that and how that's situated in its context. And um, and you know, th- this was such an essential part. It talks about the Shema, which just in Hebrew means to hear, because that first part of it from Deuteronomy six, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is 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 one." Um, 
and then it goes into into what we just read. But he talks about how they would, you know, those scriptures they would write them on on little pieces of parchment and and put them in the a mezuzot, which were, were small boxes that would hang on their door frame. So every time when they walk out a door, if you've watched the chosen, sometimes you'll see those guys walk out a door and they'll touch it or they'll kiss it on the side of the door frame. Well, see, every time they did that, they re- would recite that in their mind. Mm. This is a formation process. It's a formation process for them, and uh, and so they would they would write it on on the inside of their phylacteries, which are boxes that they'd literally strap to their wrists, uh, their right hand. They'd also wrap them sometimes around their their foreheads. And uh, it's interesting to note that the mark of the beast is on the right hand of the forehead. See, they they had the word of God. On their mm-hmm. right hands and on their foreheads. Wow, that is interesting. And, and the mark of the beast is essentially rejecting the word of God and moving into a place where what you have, where the word of God should be, what you have is self-worship, you know, yeah. or the worship of the beast. Yeah. Uh, but his number 666. Six is the number of man. It's an unholy trinity that turns us all inward towards self. Yeah. And man, just to speak of that, you know, this will be a few weeks we record a few weeks earlier sometimes for uh, scheduling purposes, but this past week they had they had the uh, the Grammys, and and what we saw was honestly something that was I don't I'll be honest with you it grieves you yeah I prayed last night and I wept over it in my in my prayer closet just because I, I see so many churches and church leaders that are drifting into things that contradict the word of God and then you just see on a cultural level I get that these people are not saved but you're talking about essentially leading leading people in satanic worship uh publicly and of course last week in 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 whenever I think it was yeah I think it was last week maybe or maybe week one in the book it talks about you know how that that satanism at the at its heart is self-worship. Yeah. It's this turning inward. But when we turn inward to self, that's Satan fully manifests. And yeah. it, and it's and it's and it's public now and yeah. it's abundantly clear. Do those people know that they're that they're doing satanic worship? Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but the point is because they have yielded over to that way of life, it's now fully manifesting. And and you and you, and you see that taking place, but but I think and like celebrated too, like you, well, you were like you were you were talking about like a tweet where one of the a major news channel, whichever one it was, was like we're yeah. essentially ready to worship. Yeah, we're ready to worship. When he and he he said, you know, this is he, the song was called Unholy. He's dressed up like Satan, and he has you know half naked women and transgenders and different things dressed up as demons essentially worshiping him in the center while he sings a song called unholy yeah and you know fires in the background and all stuff uh, it's it's clearly satanic and i mean we just need to be aware of the state that we're living in because now is not really a time to water down your gospel and your christianity now's a time to beef it up mm-hmm. and like do what this scripture says as far as love the Lord your God with your with your whole heart, your yeah. whole mind, and your whole strength. Because otherwise, you could be easily deceived and get caught up in in the sway of the direction that things are headed. But we got to that out of the fact that they had on the, you know the phylacteries, they had the word of God on their heart and yeah. on their minds as a yeah. way of formation. Yeah. My point is is that if you don't have a way of formation to become like Jesus, this world 
is putting stuff like that informing your children right now. Yeah. Uh, just wide open. And it, it and it will form you. It will have an effect on you. You say, well, I don't, I don't watch the Grammys. Yeah, but you watch other stuff. Yeah. And it's all influenced by the same spirit. And and those are things that we have to be discerning of as we move forward as as, as Christians. And it's it's challenging our day, but yeah, we're going to get into all of these more in detail. But you know, to to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength—it's every part of you. If you know, and that that's the thing we want to you know, even going back to this whole thing in the beginning of the chapter with you know a divided heart. We want there's a there's a section that we want. God in there's a part of our lives that we want God in but there's so many other things that we're not willing to give up and, and truly our our whole being mm-hmm. our whole heart mind strength soul is not given completely to him we want to dabble in this and dabble in that and the results can be I mean, it's terrible and you you see it you know more and more prevalent in the culture we live in and it's like you said, Clay, it, now more than ever is a time where we as Christians, we really better get a hold of this in terms of we got to get give it everything we got. Yeah. And we got to push back and resist that stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm going to do a little meddling, I guess, since we're here. But, I mean, I talked to you about this because I think in mainstream Christianity, you know, what you see is is like this this need to, like, compromise and and capitulate to what culture's saying and just be nice to people and don't confront sin and don't talk about repentance and and just you know what i'm saying just, and yeah. just go around that and and my argument would be like no like if, if if anything now we need to be really really bold about speaking the truth and you yeah. don't have to be mean or hateful to do that matter of fact speaking the truth is one of the most loving things that you can do yeah to a world that is poisoning themselves and walking in a path of destruction. Yeah. And and it says, you know, like in Acts 4, man, they told them all to shut up. And and they prayed, and God showed up, and the Holy Spirit filled them, and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need in our generation is somebody to speak the word of God with boldness. Because it's interesting. One of the things that he talks about is, you know, in our culture, basically what we have is more of an agnostic culture or an atheistic culture. Atheist means they just don't believe there's a God, period. Agnosticism means I don't know. You know, it, yeah. could, it could be anything, and I'm open to anything. Yeah. We're not sure. And that that's generally our culture. But in the first century Near East, the assumption was that, yeah, there are not just one God. There are many gods. Mm. And so their practice was we need to please multiple different gods. And if we get one aggravated or, or we're not offering enough sacrifice to them because, you know, there's there's a fertility God where well, we may not be able to have children. Yeah, but there's also the, you know, a vegetation God where we may not be able to have crops. So you're, go, you're working hard to please all of these gods and uh and there's a level of anxiety and bondage at all times but in exodus it's so interesting because um and and that's what he talks about on page 54 israel announces that he alone is the one true god and they're in bondage Mm -hmm. in egypt and egypt was polytheistic they they worshiped all of these false gods well he brings judgment on these false gods and and here's the thing, nobody wants to hear this. When God brings judgment on you in this life, it is for your good. Mm. It is not to be it's not a fearful thing. And let me tell you why. If God brings judgment on my false gods, it's because he wants me set free from those gods. Mm. 
Yeah. And the issue is whether or not when he brings the judgment, if I will finally rec- wake up to it as a false god and repent and turn to him as the true god. Because when he comes in to Pharaoh, he tells them the same thing. Look, I am, I'm, I'm the Lord, the real God. He said, let my people go. That they, yeah. He had an opportunity to turn. So, so he says, no, I ain't letting your people go. I ain't doing it. I'm not obeying. Well, guess what? What does he do? The first thing that he does is he brings a judgment with blood, which was a judgment. They would have worshipped uh, Hopi and Osiris, which were the gods of the Nile. The river turns blood red. He basically says, you don't understand. I'm asking you to let them go. Your gods are false. Mm. Yeah. Let, let, I'm bringing judgment against your gods because yeah. they're false. I'm telling you, let them go. And then the frogs come, which was a judgment against Haket, which was the god of, of, of fertility. Then the livestock, which was a particular god. And then finally, the last one, if you go on, was the god of, uh, of the darkness covered the land so that they couldn't see in front of their face. Well, their primary god was Ra, which was the sun god, the god of light. Yeah. And And he brings darkness to bring that final judgment to say no. All your gods have been proven false. I'm the one true God. I have power over them all, and I'm and I'm bringing judgment against that. So if if God brings judgment against our false gods, it's a good thing. He's simply saying this is going to lead you in a path of destruction, and I need you to see that it's not going to bring you what you're looking for. It's not going to bring you the satisfaction. And so sometimes what happens is we find judgment against our our, our gods when we're hitting rock bottom. Yeah. When we're full of anxiety and fear and we're overwhelmed at the world and no matter how much pleasure we seek and chase after and sexual lust we gratify ourselves with, we are still empty. We are still broken. Yeah. And that is a judgment against our false gods. We have so much pride, man. Yeah. I, I, it, it, that's so weird to me that um, because I've lived that life, you know. And you know good and well that you are, you're completely empty, like you said. Mm -hmm. And then when you're confronted with this stuff, it's like, it's so hard to get, you know, basically realize and say, hey, I'm wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. God's got a better way. And, and for, for whatever reason, we want to see that as like a, Oh, God's a, a hateful God, and he's just calling out these fun things that I want to do, when really he just, it's, well, that, it's for a best interest. Yeah. Well, and that's how our false g- demonic gods twist it. Yeah. They, they all, see, they don't just offer you something. They lie about the truth. They lie about the true God. So they paint the true God out as to be hateful or bigoted or a killjoy or yeah. doesn't, you know, did God really say? That's what it comes back to, you know, in the beginning, yeah. what the serpent says. But uh, all of us, man... You know, I was talking to somebody about the song that John Mark McMillan's sung. He wrote that album, Mercury and Lightning. He said, I've been chasing God. I've been chasing Mercury and Lightning. Mercury is the Greek god of financial gain. And he came to this battle, you know, even as being a Christian artist, that he realized at some point, even being a Christian artist, that he got caught up in chasing success and financial gain, Mm. and it contaminated his heart. And even though in, he was doing it in the guise of God, because he was writing Christian music, he got caught up in actually chasing another God, mm-hmm. the God of financial gain. And the Lord gave him a, a revelation on that. And, um, and, and I, think, I think we have to be aware of, you know, we may, we may wear the cloak of Christianity and say that he's, Jesus is our God and our Lord, 
but is that what we give our hearts to? Yeah. That's the real indicator. What you give your heart to is ultimately the God you worship. Yeah. And so Jesus doesn't want our hearts, you know, in name. He he wants it in, in truth and in spirit and in truth. Yeah. And so that's that's one of the things that he's getting to the heart of. No pun intended on on page fifty five because um we have all these these tensions in our life in our, in our in our heart mm-hmm. and and we have these longings and so we're looking to fulfill these these longings and and we look for different ways to 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 find those fulfillments but it's ultimately all in God and uh, he says this is the goal of spiritual formation learning to think to love to act and to will toward God in love mm-hmm. not the suppression or and removal of desire but the reorientation of the cries and longings of our heart toward God. When you crave sex, when you crave drugs, when you crave alcohol, when you crave money and financial gain, when you crave uh, somebody admiring you, when you crave success, when you crave a, a better career, what you really are longing for is the love of God mm. that can only be found in a relationship with him. Your heart is crying out for something and the world is offering you something in the place of what God only can fulfill. Yeah. And so when you start to reorient your love toward God and he becomes the object of your love, all of those things begin to dissipate. It's like the song that says, look, look full in, in the wonderful face of Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim yeah. in the light of his glory and grace. And so we're reorienting our hearts to not be in love with the things of this world, but to be in love with Jesus. And then those other things become good gifts yeah, that yeah. we use. They as fall a, into place yes, well. as opposed to gods that we chase. Yeah. And and uh, so it's really a war of loves. There is uh, one place it talks about, <clears throat> I remember, um, and this is so true, Martin Luther, <clears throat> he said that if you can keep the first commandment, you will naturally keep all the others. Mm. The first commandment is, I'm the Lord your God. Have no other gods before me, right? Um, and so if you worship God and you're in love with God, the outflow of that will naturally be to do all of the other commandments that God has given because you're in love with him. You don't love other gods that would lead you into other practices. Yeah. And so if you can keep the first one, you will naturally keep 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 the rest rest. of them it's about your relationship with god and the sinner do you worship god are you in love with him and do you have practices in your life that are that's stoking that fire of relationship and because when you do you're so filled with the love of god the scripture even says in first john 2 15 do not love the world nor the things that are in the world right the lust of the flesh lust the pride uh, the lust of the flesh the lust the eyes the pride of life he says because anybody who loves the world the love of the father is not in him Mm. And basically, we love the world. Why? Because we're not deeply in that loving relationship with the Father where we're receiving everything that we've ever wanted from Him. Yeah. And so we're chasing after other things. Yeah. And so the world is contending for our hearts, and uh, and God is too. So I think we will finish up here with this section on the heart, and then next week we'll to go into into soul, mind, and strength. But Yeah, he, uh, he gets into the book where basically... There's several sections here. He breaks down the details of the heart, the soul, the mind, and strength. And so, really, in, in beginning with your heart here, the heart was the core of a person's identity. It's the source of their thoughts, their words, their actions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the way they put it here. It's essentially the command center 
of the body. And as Luke uh, 6.45 says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it's out of your heart, Clay. He's saying here, that's where everything is derived from. That's where everything comes from. That's the, the core of our being. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's our, our central operating system, basically. Yeah. And, and, and so what, one of the things he's going to say, I love the scripture in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, yeah. the mouth speaks. Everything that comes out of our mouth and our actions, our attitudes, it's a revelation of what's going on inside of yeah. the heart. And he says, you know, apart from Christ, Scripture says we have dead hearts. Mm. We turn to Jesus. He makes us alive. We have a new heart. But the problem is, is just like what he says at the beginning of the book, we can be given a new heart, but it needs some some uh, needs to go through a reformation process. Yeah. And he lists like different parts, different types of hearts, so to speak. Like we can develop an idolatrous heart, which is what we just talked about, where our our loyal our loyalty is to other people or other goals instead of God. Mm-hmm. Am I seeking other people's love and admiration out? Am I seeking financial gain or success, or my own personal success above what God would have me to do? Like there, those are things that we need to pay attention to. What 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 am I giving my heart to? Yeah, uh, we can have a divided heart. He says, and 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 really, this is just where. You, you can recognize um, this area where, okay, I need to give my life to God. And, and, and you're like, all right, man, I need to go after God, give it fully to him. But there's still something, an idolatry, an addiction, a sin that's really competing and pulling on that and trying to choke out my devotion to God. And then and then there's another one he calls a hardened heart. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of people because they, they've been hurt by others. They've been through divorce. They've been traumatized. They have been abused. Maybe they went to church and had a bad, people treated them bad. Uh, and so they decide to close off their heart to yeah. others and to God, and they're not able to be opened to that love that God has for them. And then finally, there are devoted hearts where they allow Jesus to come in, deal with everything. They lay down their idols. They let Jesus heal their wounds, and he feels every dimension of their heart so that they can have full hearts that can be filled with the love of God. And uh, the heart, like he says, it's just, it's the primary issue. Yeah. I, lo- I love this scripture. I'm going to read it, Ezekiel 36. Because um, I remember whenever I first read it, it blew me away because what I recognized, man, was like what God was doing in me was this. He was, I always thought I had to do something for, for God, mm-hmm. but he really does it through us. If we commit to his way. Yeah. And and so he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Ezekiel 36. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. That's salvation. And I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you. And watch this. He says, move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Another translation says, and I will cause you to follow my laws. Mm. Like he'll actually cause you to do it from within. It's a natural fruit and it takes place naturally as you are in a loving relationship with him. When we are seeking God and when we are going after him and we're turning our affections toward him. That's why like when we pray and fast, fasting, we deny our worldly affections and say, I'm not giving myself to the things of this world and I'm going to reorient my heart completely toward God on purpose. Yeah. 
And what, what happens is we start to sense that, that love of God and love for God is stirred. And we're always like spiritually like, man, why don't we do this more often? Yeah. And because you just sense the presence of God and the love of God. But when you do that, what you find is you start to begin to naturally from within want to do what God's calling you to do. He changes your want to. Yeah. Just like what you said. from with, It's an inner yeah. transformation. But that being said, if you have a new heart, the fundamental and most important job of your Christian life is to guard your heart. Yes. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs four, twenty three. And you know, one of the things he says, I love this. We preached about marriage here recently. But he says a marriage ceremony on page fifty nine is two people establishing a boundary around their love. Yeah. Vowing that no other love will replace or supplant this love. For the rest of their lives, it's their job to guard their heart from any person who would seek to seduce them away from their spouse or from any distraction that would diminish their love. In guarding their heart from others, both spouses cultivate a deeper and more passionate love for one another, and it's the same way in our relationship with God. We guard it. We protect it. I can't let another competing love get in my heart. My love should be completely completely toward my wife. She yeah. is my standard of beauty. I can't let another female come into the picture where it starts to compete with my love for my wife and I set boundaries on that. Same way with God. I can't let any other gods creep in and steal my affection and my devotion. I have to guard my heart so that my heart is completely the Lord's. Yeah. Amen. Amen. That's going to conclude the first part of this chapter. Uh, we'll dive into the next part on the next episode. We thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you on the next one.